Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Welcome to episode number 13 of The Music Plays the Band. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I'm really glad you're here today joining me, and I hope you're safe and well. It is so great to be with you today, and it is so great to be back on the road and playing music. We've been on the road the last three weekends. We've gone from New Jersey out to California and then back east to Maryland. Uh, We have a welcome weekend off right now, and I'm looking forward to being home. You know, this new style of touring on weekends only is definitely a big change and has taken some getting used to. I will say that the shows that we just finished up this past weekend in Santa Cruz, California were probably the best yet. Uh, Great vibe, so great to be back on the West Coast. Beautiful weather, beautiful venue. Had some great times hanging out with people. And we had a ton of the uh, extended Grateful Dead family there with us. Uh, We were very honored to have Betty Cantor Jackson behind the board uh, recording these shows for us. And it was really cool because... Two of the shows we did were Grateful Dead shows from that same date. So Betty was recording a show that she recorded 49 years to the day earlier for the dead, and then another one in 77, which would be 41 years earlier. So it was just as much fun for her as it was for us, and I can't wait to hear those tapes. We also had guitar builders Rick Turner and Doug Irwin out there with us, uh, showing us some of their newer instruments, and because of them and our friend Andy Logan, Uh, The boys were able to play, Jeff was able to play the alligator guitar, the Strat that Jerry played at the actual show we did uh, when we did the 72 show the first night. And Skip was able to play the Mission Control bass that Phil used back in those days, uh, courtesy of our friend Jason Scherner. Got to hear some great stories, and I was able to make some great videos and capture a bunch of it. So if you would like to see those and much more, please uh, subscribe to my Patreon site. You can see all of the instruments, hear the great stories, and get expanded video segments, outtakes, and much more. For more info on that, please visit my new website at www.themusicplaystheband.net. And uh, speaking of the new website, I want to thank you all for the warm reception. It's been up for a couple of weeks now, and I'm just so happy to have a single place for you to go to check out all of what's going on, hear all the past episodes, and offer your support to the podcast. 
Uh, the traffic in these first two weeks has been great, and I really appreciate your feedback. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, I encourage you to do so. Again, that's www.themusicplaystheband.net. With me today is Chris Jacobs. Chris was a longtime member of one of my favorite bands ever, The Bridge, out of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, recently, he's been a solo artist with his Chris Jacobs band, as well as collaborating with Ivan Neville on the Neville Jacobs Project, uh, a bunch of solo stuff. He is a huge Dead fan and has had the honor of spending time playing with Phil Lesh and friends, and he shares some great stories about that experience here as well. Also with me today are Noah Lohr and Nate Lambert of RVA Fadeaway out of Richmond, Virginia. These guys are most likely the youngest Grateful Dead cover band out there. They're 16 years old. They rock it out, and I just think it's so cool to have another generation playing this music, and it was a really fun conversation. So it's going to be a great episode today, and let's get started. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store, branding and apparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead. Today we honor Lightning Hopkins. Samuel John Hopkins was born in Centerville, Texas in 1912 and is the most famous of the Texas country bluesmen. As a child, he was immersed in the sounds of the blues. He developed a deep appreciation for the music at age eight when he met the legendary Blind Lemon Jefferson at a church picnic. Upon hearing Jefferson, he felt the blues inside of him and thus his journey began. He came from a musical family and he learned from many of them. Eventually, Hopkins actually began accompanying Jefferson on guitar. Now, Jefferson reputedly never let anyone play with him except Hopkins and he learned much from the legendary man. He spent some time in the 30s in prison and then he tried to break into the Houston music scene with no success. In the mid-40s, he tried again, was discovered, and began recording for the Aladdin label out of Los Angeles. He recorded for Aladdin and many other labels, and it's estimated that he recorded nearly 1,000 songs in his career. Oh, yeah. This is way more albums than any other blues musician. Rarely playing with the band, Hopkins developed a distinctive style of finger-picking that incorporated bass, rhythm, and lead, along with percussive tapping on the strings and body of the guitar. Hopkins traveled the world, gained widespread notoriety, played Carnegie Hall and many of the big folk festivals and was regarded as the king of the Texas blues. Unfortunately, he passed away in 1982. The Grateful Dead, especially Ron McKernan, forever known as Pigpen, were huge fans and Pig made sure to include Hopkins tunes right from the start in Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions way back in the day. These tunes stayed with the band all the way until McKernan's death in 1973, and actually in 1966 at the Fillmore, Lightning Hopkins opened for the Grateful Dead. Hopkins' tunes that were performed by the dead included Katie May, Bring Me My Shotgun, and the one we will hear today, Ain't It Crazy, also known as The Rub. It was introduced uh, into Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions in 1964, but it didn't show up in a dead set until April of 1970. The dead played it throughout 1970 and 71, but that was it. You know, if you listen to the dead version, it's kind of a bouncy shuffle which is, it's really the byproduct of taking a tune that was recorded by a solo artist and adapting it for the full band. Uh, the original has a bounce, but it's got much, much more space in it uh, due to it being by a solo artist. So here it is, the original recording of The Rub, or Ain't It Crazy, by Lightning Hopkins. Mama got it too. They're going around doing the rub, the rub. Ain't it crazy? Ain't it crazy? You know it's crazy. Keep on rubbing at that 
Went down in Hound with my hat in my hand. Look for a woman, didn't have no man. Went it crazy. Went it crazy. You know it's crazy. Town with my hat in my hand. Uh, look for a woman, didn't have no man. We're not crazy. We're not crazy. You know, it's crazy to keep on rubbing at that same old thing. SMS Breakdown with Brad Sarno is brought to you by Sarno Music Solutions, producing the finest musical instrument audio gear, designed and hand-built in St. Louis, Missouri since 2003, and Blue Jade Audio Mastering, St. Louis's primary audio mastering service since 1999. So today you're going to hear the third and final part of our conversation about sound engineer Dan Healy. Uh, there's so much to learn about and from Dan that we talked for a long time, so I, I broke this one up into three episodes. Uh, this segment talks about how Dan was really an additional member of the band. Uh, I hope to shed some light on what a crucial component Dan was to the Grateful Dead world. Uh, one day soon I'm going to get him on the show and you won't want to miss that. You, you mentioned participate. You know, and thinking, I mean, a lot of times he was, and, and our sound man too as well, Cotter, can be like an, an extra member of the band as far as what they're doing with the sound. I think particularly like during Drums in Space where they might be moving the moving the sound from side to side or, or or panning and all that and even can you just explain a little bit about what he might have been doing during that yeah i think you're right all bets are off he was an absolute creative participant in the drums in space because part of dr- space is about the the ambient atmospheric effects the the dimensionality creating depth and uh rhythmic echoes and uh even sometimes, you know, um, pitch, pitch devices, things that will reproduce sounds at other frequencies or in octaves and fifths above and below, um, would even do that sometimes to, uh, <laughs> vocal, like say, like say a, an estimated is fading off into some weird space. You know, he, he would totally fuck with Weir's vocal, putting trippy stuff on it. He'd do it coming out of space with the other one too. Sure. <laughs> I hope Bobby wasn't always a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Not always. That's for sure. <laughs> but, but yeah, Dan, you could definitely see Dan, uh, enjoying the toys, uh, right. in those sections of the show for sure. He did some pretty cool stuff in that, you know, outside of drums in space, but just during the show, um, the way he had the band panned, like the drums, for instance, would go all the way across the, the PA, if, if right. I'm right. Yeah, he was really amazing at uh, the stereo image, um, the way you could really tell which drummer was uh, doing what by where they were located in the in the stereo field. It's, all, it's awesome. The toms would go across from one side as Mickey's playing, and then the toms would, if it goes to Billy, it would just go all the way across the stereo image from one side to the other. Yeah, and the, ki- and the kicks were wide, so you could tell whose kick was whose. Uh, 
and yeah, and the and the it was my recollection that um, the Toms would sort of. I might have this backwards because it's been a while, but like like Mickey's might start near the middle, and as he went to his lower drums, they would go pull out. off, go out to the right to his side, our to our right from the audience right. perspective, and, and the opposite would be for uh, uh, for Bill. You know the, the way they at least in the recordings, which I know is different than the live stuff. The recordings are great for the drummers because I can listen to them in headphones, and what's coming out of my right ear is Mickey, and what's coming out of my left ear is Billy. And the, the mixes are done in a way that I can pretend I'm looking at the stage and I'll hear it on the side that it was on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a re- yeah, definitely the image you experienced at the show. And it makes it, you know, for people who really into the listening to the Grateful Dead drummers, it makes it really easy to figure out who's doing what. Right. Right. Right on, man. Well, Healy did so much and we could probably talk about him for hours and we've talked with him for hours, but uh, I appreciate you shedding some light on that for the people out there who probably don't know that much about what, you know, the the groundbreaking techniques that the dead came up with and and, uh, how important the sound man was to the Grateful Dead's live experience. Absolutely. I'm glad you've or given this light on Healy. He he truly is a pioneer and a hero in the sound reinforcement world. He's just just a legend. I'm going to try and get him on one day and have him tell some stories. They're always good. That'd be great. All right, my friend. Well, thank you very much. You take care, and we will talk to you very soon. All right. Good talking to you, Rob. Take care. All right. Thank you. That's Brad Sarno, folks. Today's edition of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town is brought to you by the Authenticity Academy, offering you online courses and private coaching. If you're feeling stuck or confused about the direction your life is going in, or you've lost touch with your authentic self, the Authenticity Academy is here to help. www.authenticity.coach So today I bring you RVA Fadeaway out of Richmond, Virginia. This has got to be the youngest Grateful Dead cover band out there, and it is just so great to know that this music is being played and appreciated by a whole new generation of fans. All right, so for today's There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town. I have RVA Fadeaway from RVA, Richmond, Virginia. I've got Noah Lore and Nate Lambert. How are you guys? We're great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. So to let the people out there know, to my knowledge, maybe you know differently, you've got to be the youngest Grateful Dead cover band in the country. Probably pretty close. How, <laughs> how old are you guys and what do you play, He's both of you? Uh, most of us are around 16. A couple of us are 17. Uh, Noah and I both play guitar. And and your instrumentation, you have one drummer or two? Just one. One drummer, bass, and keys besides the two of you? No, we actually have three guitars right now. Three we guitars? We don't have a keys player yet. That's all right, We've man. been looking, but we've only been playing together for a couple months. And you're all 16 and 17 years old. Do y'all go to high school together? How did you get together? We just all knew each other through mutual friends. I got to ask. I, I kind of know the answer because I found out that I actually know Nate's parents because they're fans of DSO. But So I kind of know what the answer is going to be here. But I'm going to start with you, Nate. Uh, how did y'all get into the Grateful Dead? Is it because you got really cool parents? <laughs> Basically, from a really young age, we've just been going to the shows. Uh, you guys with DSO is actually my very first show at Pocahontas State Park. Love that place. So yeah, we've just been growing up around it. There was yeah. no avoiding it in your household. <laughs> Did you like it from the beginning? Were you into the music right away? 
Yeah. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. And and Noah, well, for you, the same thing? Was your parents that turned you on? Yeah, my first show was Rat Dog when I was like two, so I don't even remember it, but we've been going to see dead cover bands my whole life. And do you guys listen to other music as well? Yeah, but most of the stuff I listen to is in the same scene, kind of, and it's all jammy. Right on. What about you, Nate? Yeah, it's mostly jam stuff, but I know Noah and I have recently been getting into like bluegrass and all that. What is it about this music that does it for you? I'm going to go to you first, Noah. What is it about this jam band, the dead specifically, but jam band music that, that, that gets you off? I mean, it's obviously the music, but also all the community that's around it is really cool, too. And no, uh, Nate? Uh, I think I just love hearing what all these different guys can do with their instruments and just getting it out there and seeing what they can do. When you're both guitar players, are you both lead players? No, it's definitely better than me. I'm more of a rhythm guy. So when you listen to The Dead, are you keying in a little bit more on Bob Weir than you are on Jerry Garcia? Well, it's hard to not key in on Jerry, but yeah. <laughs> and, and Noah, you're more of a, of a lead player? Yeah. But Jerry's one of your big influences, obviously. Who else? Yeah, definitely. I like to listen a lot to Trey, too. And he's really good. <laughs> um, but yeah, mostly Jerry. How how often, I mean, you guys are so young, and you said you've been together for a couple months, but how often do you have gigs? We started in, like, the beginning of April, and I think we've been playing every weekend since. Wow. Now, because you're under 21, obviously you guys can't play bars <laughs> and clubs like that. So where, where are you guys playing? What kind of gigs are you doing? Uh, we've been playing, like, outside at breweries and stuff. Um playing on a couple like private farm events and it's really been picking up steam recently yeah and we're lucky because we know everyone in the scene here so they've been kind to us very very cool um how do you all approach it how do you when you pick a song to tackle any grateful dead song doesn't matter how, how do you approach it do you go into it with a certain mindset are you going to try and interpret it using your other influences or, or straightly from the dead. Do you have, do you have a mindset when you go in to start learning a song? I think we try to tackle it the best we can with the dead, but we also, we put our own spin on it, just gathering influences like from the dead and fish and all these other dead cover bands that put their own spin on it. Are there, are there songs that, how do I say this? You guys are really young. Are there songs that you can't get to yet that you're still learning your instrument enough to try and to, to try and master? Or are you are you able to tackle the hard stuff on the repertoire at this point? Right now we're on at like practices this week. We're trying to get down Terrapin. It's kind of crazy. It's a big one. Our it's drummer. There, yeah. Um we're trying to get him down on the rhythms. It's just a crazy song. It is. <laughs> it is. Have you tackled anything like Slipknot yet, or are you waiting to get to that point? We're still working on it. A couple of us can play it. But, awesome. um, but two of our members haven't really been into the dead for too long, so we're getting them there. They're really into it now, but th they haven't grown up with the music, so we're a little bit more comfortable with it, I think. And so are you just like, are you playing them anything and everything and just trying to turn them on and, hey, check out the yeah. dead, this, this, this cool stuff? Yeah. Much, yeah, and they seem to really like it. Right on. Yeah. So that's that's two. That's a couple of the new guys. And what about the fifth member? Are you, are you two the the ones who grew up around the dead, and are or anybody else in the band as well? Yeah, also the other guitarist, our lead our lead singer guy Abel Abel Well. 
Buell. <laughs> he um, he grew up around it too. That's but our good. drummer Andrew and our no, our, I'm sorry, our bassist Andrew and our drummer Jack, um, we've just been getting them into it, and they seem they really seem to like it. Does the influences that those guys bring into the band show up when you're playing Grateful Dead tunes? Yeah, I think so. That's cool. I think Andrew's bass playing coming from that jazz background really puts a good like groovy twist on it. it sounds really nice. Right on. Um, is there is there any video out there for people to check out of you? Is there places people can go and learn about you guys? It's time for oh, your we, shameless plug. Go for it. We have Facebook and Instagram. It's both RVA Fadeaway. RVA. And there, there are some videos on there. I know I saw one video um, that my buddy sent me. Uh, it was Jack Straw. And and when it started, it it didn't sound like any Jack Straw I had ever heard at first because all I heard was the instrumental and the groove was a little bit different and, and, the, and the vibe and the rhythm. And, and then you came in with the tune and I'm like, yeah, this definitely has a little bit of a different twist on it, but it's super, super cool. And, and I think that's really cool that the young people out there are going to keep this music alive, but they're going to keep it alive um, with their own twists. Like, like you said, you know, it, it wasn't, it's not good or bad. It's just a little bit different. You said that you, most of the community knows you. Um, obviously the ones who know you welcome you with open arms. Are you able to turn on new fans and, and or is your, is your audience growing and how do they receive you being a bunch of young kids playing this music that is so, so important to some people and such a big part of their lives. Are you all well accepted? Did people give you support? Yeah. Yeah. This weekend or a couple weekends ago, we played a small festival in like south of richmond and there were a lot of people there who it was their first time seeing us but they really seemed to enjoy it and they came up to us afterward and told us how much they liked it yeah i mean we've got nothing but love and the richmond community we have a built-in support system with all the deadheads here that just love the music but then meeting these new people we've got nothing but love it's great that's awesome well you deserve it because anybody at your age that's tackling this music and doing it justice certainly deserves the respect and thank you guys for keeping this alive. You know, it's, it's great to know that there's, there's a whole nother generation that's going to not only want to listen to the grateful dead, but that wants to play it. So from, from all of us older deadheads, we very much appreciate you guys keeping it alive for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is Noah Lore and Nate Lambert of RVA Fadeaway out of Richmond, Virginia. Please go check them out. They are some really happening kids playing Grateful Dead music. So take care, my friends. Thanks very much. Thank you. So great that we have a younger generation that's going to help keep this music alive. Uh, If you like what you're hearing today and would like to support the podcast, we have two different ways for you to do that. You can purchase a monthly Patreon subscription, and that'll include expanded video versions of our segments, Uh, a lot of outtakes, some community hang time, uh, videos from home, and now some really cool stuff that I'm able to get now that we're back on the road, and much, much more. Or you can make a one-time contribution through our PayPal site. I'm also happy to announce that a portion of your contribution will now be donated to the Rex Foundation. This is the the nonprofit that was created by members of the dead and their friends, 
and it funds creative endeavors in the arts, sciences, and education, and they do an amazing job. So to make a contribution and learn more about the podcast, please visit our website at www.themusicplaystheband.net. Our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. On Shakedown or online, Grateful Sweats is your first stop for subtle dead designs. Check them out at etsy.com slash shop slash Grateful Sweats and see for yourself. Designs that only other heads will get. Uh, when you're wearing that state of Tennessee on your shirt and it's got Jed in the middle and someone says nice shirt, you know they get it and they're on the bus. A subtle dead cap makes its point and no one does sweats like Grateful Sweats. Hoodies, sweatpants, joggers, tees, and much more. Subtle dead designs at etsy.com slash shop slash Grateful Sweats. My featured guest today is Chris Jacobs. Chris is based in Baltimore, Maryland, and he tours the country with his band, the Chris Jacobs Band, in addition to collaborations with Ivan Neville and many others. He is formerly a member of the Baltimore-based band, The Bridge, and has also spent time as a solo artist, opening for the likes of Steve Winwood and others. He's been exposed to the dead since a very young age, although it took him some time to warm up to it. Since then, he has performed with Phil Lesh and Friends, and he hosts his own Jerry Garcia celebration every year in Baltimore. I've known Chris for some 15 plus years now, and you will not hear a more soulful singer or meet a nicer guy. All right, good day. I am here with my friend Chris Jacobs. How are you doing, pal? Hey, hey, doing well. Thanks, buddy. Man, good thank to talk you. to you. Yeah, you too. It's good to see you. It's been a long time. Yeah, you too. Uh, thanks for taking the time. You're home in Baltimore. Yep. And uh, how you doing? How you been getting through this? I'm I'm doing man I'm doing good. Um as we were just kind of chatting um you know got two young kids and it's been a, a a wonderful adventure being like a you know domesticated dad for for the last year plus something that I've never been used to. I've been right. home we've I'm sure the same as you been home more consecutively than ever before that uh, since I've had like a family. Um so you know, it's been it's been challenging and adventurous and 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 beautiful. But um, you know, I've I've been hanging in there, man. Doing like weekly live streams on Facebook, yeah. and that's been that's been like way more uh, beneficial in so many ways than I ever imagined it would be. So I'm just like really loving that. It's it's been just a great way to still connect with people, to still play, to still have a reason to work up material and practice and right. perform and even though it's not in front of live bodies it's uh it's still been very gratifying you've been doing it every tuesday like since you're like one of the really one of the very first artists that jumped on the stream from home thing i feel like i was uh you know i didn't see too many people doing it it was like right when it happened and i literally woke up and was like i'm gonna try this i don't even know how to do it i like duct taped my phone to to the a music stand and just went right off the phone it was like backwards i was like left-handed on the screen you know and uh it was in like selfie mode backwards and you know and and people loved it and and it and it really resonated with people just on an emotional level just being able to commune with other people with the live chat and you know um and and listen to music and pump it through the TV and sit there, you know, and have a drink and the kids are playing or whatever. And it was just like, it, it so many people told me like how much it meant to them and had what it did for them. And it was way more than I thought, you know, That's I thought, awesome. you know maybe I'll get a few PayPal tips and, you know, play a few tunes and, and it was just way beyond any of that, you know, and you're still doing them now, right? 
Yeah, just did number uh, like 56 last week and uh, got one tomorrow, 420. And these are all through the Chris Jacobs Facebook page? Yep. Awesome. So check it out, folks, because it's really good. I know you've done like you did an all dead set and you did an all cover set and you did. Yeah, you, I've had some themes. Yeah, I've had some themes for sure. We did. I've done. And then sometimes it's just sort of like a, a, a put together set. My my original is a bunch of covers and, you know, sometimes all requests. You know, we'll see. We'll see what it, Tomorrow's 420. So there'll be some sort of relation to that. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Tomorrow's 420. <laughs> I forgot about that. I don't even think about that anymore. I don't know. I don't know. So you grew up and you live in Baltimore now. You also, you grew up in that area, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. Can yep. you tell me, tell us the world, uh, tell us a little bit about your roots and your musical upbringing, how you got started, you know, coming yeah. up as. Yeah. I mean, I, um, you know, always loved music as a kid, but I never played until I was like 15. I mean, I was always like into like singing and stuff, but, but never like took it seriously. And my parents were huge deadheads and music fans in general like you know their 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 record collection was you know little feet the band dr john the neville brothers you know they took me to my first concert was the neville brothers in like 85 or something and um you know they were always going to dead shows leaving us with like my aunt or the babysitter for like three days going to catch like three shows at the garden or something (laughs) like that you know like the hardcore like they've been going since like 69 and um you know, I hated it growing up. Honestly, my sister and I used to like make fun of them and like be embarrassed when my friends would come over and there's just like weird posters of like this band, the Grateful Dead. That's like the weirdest shit ever. And, and like these old dudes that were like so uncool looking. And, uh, you know, it was when I was about 14 when, you know, things started to change and I was, you know, started, started listening a little harder and, you know, extracurricular activities start creeping in and, and, you know, your, your mind expands and it's like, wow, actually this is kind of cool. And then I hit my dad up and say, Hey, will you get me tickets when they come around and took me to RFK stadium and uh, saw my first show. And that was when I was like, you know what? I want to do this. I want to, I want to play guitar, I think. And wow. Yeah. That was, that was it. And then did you pick, when you picked it up, did you learn on your own or did you study? Yeah, well, I took I took some lessons at the local guitar store um, for like a year, and he, I had a great teacher who kind of just like set me in motion with all the basics and all the fundamentals to practice. He was like a jazz guy, but you know, he was like, "Here's what you need to practice, and then you can kind of do your own thing with it." And then I just took it from there. And then, yeah, I didn't really go to music school or anything like that; just practiced my ass off for years and dug you know just listened to all the stuff i liked and then tried to learn all about what they liked like we were talking like you know especially with the dead there was such a gateway to so much because they were influenced by all the american roots music and jazz and there's just so such deep musical lineage in their music and so i really kind of went back and explored all the all the branches of the tree you know, from, from who they listened to and then who did they listen to and then where did that come from and, and, and really dug way deep into like the the blues, bluegrass, folk, country, you know, jazz, just the early American roots music stuff really, really kind of like got me when I was, uh, you know, around college age and I just like was obsessively practicing for hours a day until, uh, you know, and then, and then like 
really till like I started the bridge in like 2001. That's when I first like tried to write songs. It was like I hadn't even done done that ever. Wow, man. Yeah. Late bloomer. Um, yeah, for sure. When you know you said you didn't like the day, and part of that was probably because your parents were always. Oh, that's all it was. I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Uh, you said you mentioned that show made you say I want to do this, but do you remember at what point? you all of a sudden started to like that music where you heard something in um, that music that made me say, wow, this isn't so bad. I think, I think I remember like most people, like uncle John's band. I heard like on the radio or something. And I was like, this is actually a really good song. And I remember I, I vividly remember like coming home from school and like putting on working man's dead and listening, listening to it. And then like seeing my, my parents like car drive up in the driveway and like turn it, turn it <laughs> off and close it up, put it back real quick. Cause I didn't want them to know that I would, that, that, that I had like, after all those years of ragging on them about it, that I finally like was coming around. Yeah. So that would have brought them to tears though. If they I know, I know my sister, I remember for her, it was like, she tells the story about how she was like hanging out with friends. as like a freshman in high school. And, you know, they're talking about their parents again. My parents listened to Grateful Dead and all the kids were like, she's hanging out with some older kids are like, oh, wow, really? That's awesome. And she was like, oh, is it? And <laughs> and kind of like, she's like, wow, it's kind of made her cool that her parents listened to the dead. So that's when she turned around on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember my dad bet me. He's like, I'll bet you a hundred dollars. This was like when I was like 10 or something. He's like, that one day you're going to ask me for tickets. And I'm like, nah, never, never. And then finally when I did, I'm like, I guess I'll be that hundred. He's like, yeah, I can't cash that one a long time ago. <laughs> when you started playing, you mentioned a bunch of artists. Would those be the ones that you consider your early influences? And not me knowing your music, I mean, obviously Little Feet and Lowell and all that. Yeah. And, and the Dead, too. Would, would, would those be your yeah. earliest influences as far as playing, singing, and songwriting? Definitely. Yeah, I'd say Little Feet, The Dead were, were probably the main two. And then just sort of like that was the gateway for me to to you know find what, out what what they what those guys were influenced by what was it specifically the dead but little feet too because there's such a connection with the dead there but what was it that grabbed you i mean what was it that was made gave you that aha moment well with the dead it was seeing them live that really grabbed me and like feeling that like you i mean you know what it is that that band audience connection and just that get when they get into that zone and and the song just you know i would think it was like a they they played a a china rider that night and that was like the moment for me in like the middle of that jam where i was like wow this is like something i've never experienced before just being in the crowd feeling it and like everybody around me feeling it too and just that swell of energy that's what really like sucked me in it was like the songs were the were the thing at first that that got me and then like I kind of stayed for the adventure, you know, it was like, well, once I was there, the, the, you know, the whole adventure of it. And then like, you know, dead tunes were like some of the first songs that I learned to play on the guitar and, you know, cause they're, they're kind of an easy way in, you know, to yeah. play them. Well, it's not, you know, but, but to learn them is easy enough. You can For play sure. Bertha G G G G C G, you know, and, and, you know, me and my friends would just jam on that stuff. And, and it just had such, um, you know, ability to stretch out and just jam on. So that, that, that was really like the, the beginning of, of what kind of lit the fire. I'd say, you know, a lot of the people I've talked to have mentioned that, but like the low hanging fruit, if you will, of Franklin's, yeah. which is basically sure. just a two chord song. So oh, yeah. now I'm, I know two chords. 
Now I can take this and learn how to explore and extrapolate and jam on it. Exactly. What scale do I play over this? I used to take it to my guitar teacher. Oh, you can play the A major scale. Yeah, it's like it was just you know it was it was just it was the springboard for me of uh, of like improvisation and and uh, song structure and and all that. That was, I definitely say the Dead was like the beginning when I was like fifteen. You know, it was so I was sort of like heavy Deadhead at the time. Didn't listen to a whole lot of other stuff really you know if i had the choice everybody went through that that phase yeah exactly that was me that was me my dad had like walls of tapes just pick them every day when when you were younger and you were and they were playing all this cool well what you now know is all this cool music uh, and you weren't listening you know you have a dad blah 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 but all the other stuff that they were playing the little feet the nevilles dr john were you digging on that and some of it, like I liked some of Neville Neville stuff. I, I remember liking like the Beatles and Paul Simon and some like some of that stuff. But you know, I wasn't really listening to music on that level. Yeah. So what were you listening to? What were you into at that time? Man, I was listening to what all the suburban kids listened to in the nineties. You know, like gangster rap, R and B, um, Guns and Roses, um, Metallica, uh, yeah, MTV music. And, right. and then, you know, my sister was always coming home with something. She was always kind of ahead of the curve on stuff. But then she, like, you know, introduced me to, like, NWA and, and Public Enemy and shit like that. And I, and I used to love that shit <laughs> in, in, like, middle school. And you know, my parents were like, what is going on here? But uh, I hear that know. shit coming out of your bedroom and say, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, I consider myself pretty, pretty, I was probably pretty par for the course, like, 90s suburban white kid trying to listen to all that stuff you know right yeah you, you, uh, you've been heavily influenced you've already mentioned it a little bit you've been heavily influenced by the blues yeah and you're playing and it sounds like some of that you learned about by going back absolutely you know, and tracing yeah. the lineage you know i featured a lot of blues artists uh that influenced the dead and the black yeah. music moment and i'm sure a ton of those are the same artists can you pick out a few of those blues artists who've had the most impact on you definitely um Lightning Hopkins, one of my favorites. Muddy Waters, Robert Johnson. Um, uh, Freddie King. Is it's, that all because of playing style or song style or just the whole thing? Just the, yeah, the whole thing. I mean, um, each each one of those guys, I could dissect like what I love the most about them, but like just their overall total sound resonates with me the most for different reasons. Uh, like Lightning Hopkins is just like his whole ray charles said he was the bluest singer of all time and and i can dig that because i mean it's just something about just something about his sound just really gets me in the gut what is the dead the stuff in the dead's repertoire that's kind of that old blues based stuff which is a lot of the pig pen stuff earlier on yeah. and then the weird stuff later because he took over a lot of that blue stuff is that the part of the repertoire that appeals to you the most out of the dead's canon not necessarily no 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 um i mean i love the blues but i also love i mean I'd say the Garcia ballads are my probably what resonates with me the most. I um, don't. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and 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 I love things that aren't bluesy as well. You know, um, it's uh, it's just got to have soul to it, I guess, and in whatever style it is. But uh, but yeah, I'd say the Garcia ballads are. I could listen to those all day long. Which ones? I mean, me too. Which ones really pull at your heartstrings? What are the ones Um, for you? Stella Blue could be my favorite. Um, I remember seeing him play so many roads. Like, I know that was one of the later ones 
but that was like as I was going to shows, one of the one of the like the real you know epic moments of the show. Um, let's see, there's so many, and and, and um, for me it would be Morning Dew is the one. That yeah, Morning Dew, Warfrat, um, you know. And then later on, I just fell in love partially because of the words, but partially because of the chord structures with Days Between. Oh yeah, what a haunting tune, man! Oh my God, it's that yeah. one can make you cry. The chord yeah. changes in that are just so powerful. They are, they are, they are, and uh, yeah, I'm a sucker for those. And just yeah, Garcia's. I you know you mentioned the bluesy thing. Like I'd say Garcia's songwriting is what resonated with me the most. Clear, right on. I mean, as like with with a lot of people. Let's 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 talk about the playing for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, you play electric. You play acoustic. You play lap steel. You play cigar box. You, you kind of run the gamut with all the string instruments, you know. Um, in what ways would you say, if if any, that the Grateful Dead, Garcia, Weir, either one, has directly influenced your playing, or is your playing more based influenced by the blues artists? I, I, I'd say it's all of it. I mean, really, it's a, that's not a evasive answer. I'd say, um, you know, it all started with Garcia, but. I think with him, it wasn't as much of me trying to sound like him as much as just me trying to um, capture the essence and the spirit of what he was trying to do. And then, you know, like I said, listening back to his influences and just, you know, sort of educating myself on all of the music that came before and picking out the things that naturally resonated with me. And I think with Garcia's playing, the whole thing was just his like kind of reckless abandon when when it all was going down and his fearlessness and desire to pull from everywhere and and improvise and just capture like emotion and spirit and so that no matter what style i'm playing whether it's on a slide or an acoustic or an electric i mean that i feel like is a huge foundation of who i am i was never a I was never like learn a ton of licks note for note and try to like throw them into my solos guy little parts here and there. But it was, it it was more just like, I I figured out really early on, like if I learn so well, all of the, all of the scales and melodies and just practice so much that I don't have to think that's the goal, right? Like, that's what I like. That's how Jerry does it. You can just fly when, when it's time to play. And that's, uh, so that's, you know, I'd say that that, that influenced me more than anything is just like a whole foundational approach to music that, that I think they had that, you know, other people have in different ways, like improvisational, you know, jazz musicians and, and other soloists have, but as far as like rock and roll bands and like Americana and, and, you know, it's, especially as a band, they did something that nobody else did and has been able to do like them, you know, yeah. as far as like prototype of, of a, like, if you try to be what they did as a band, chances are you'll probably fail these days. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't fit into any, any like uh box in, in today's music business, you know, maybe, maybe some people will disagree with that, but you know, just to, uh, to, to live like they did. And I don't mean like live like lifestyle. I just mean to approach their shows the way that they did. I don't think many people have been able to pull that off since. Yeah, for sure. You know? 
What about Weir? Anything from his playing or his attitude? I, I love Bob Weir. Um, and I learned to appreciate him more and more all the time, especially like when I saw them live and I remember focusing in on what he was doing and being like, wow, that's what that sound is that I'm hearing. I didn't even know what that was. Like such a unique guitar player, such a like individual guitar. Like you could tell that it's him like right away. And like his style clearly developed out of necessity for what the music of that band needed. You know, he didn't like try to just bring his thing. It's like he learned along the way, like what the music needed. And there's no one out there that plays like him. I still like can't even figure out half the shit he's doing. Like when I'm listening to him and, um, and his songwriting is, is beautiful. He wrote some, some absolutely amazing tune. looks like rain estimated profit black throat to win. I love those songs playing in the band, obviously, but, um, yeah, I, w- I would say that, you know, I, I obviously like I lean towards Garcia as far as like, you know, my influence per se, but um, my appreciation for Bob Weir runs runs endlessly. I really, I really love the guy. This came up and actually came up when I was talking with Yorma last week. There's some isolated tracks that just came out that I've yeah, been I've heard some of that. Man. Wild. It's wild. wild. <laughs> I know. So wild. It's Unlike anything you've ever heard a rhythm guitar player do. He's, it's not even rhythm guitar. It's no, just like a it's, second guitar. It's, it is. It's, he's not just like a company. He's, he, the places he leaves space that normally a rhythm guitar player wouldn't leave space. Yeah. He's like playing on the opposite side that you would probably yeah. expect to hear a rhythm guitar player. And the way he played with his tone, especially in later years with technology and like some of the like feedback and like light distortions and, and stuff that he would really play with. Um, it was, it's fascinating. He's, yeah. he's quite a fascinating guitar player. I want to go back. You mentioned earlier your first kind of real big band, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was your very first band, but it's the first one that... First serious band. It gained yeah. some notoriety. It was The yeah. Bridge out of Baltimore, mm-hmm. who, as you know, is one of my favorite bands. I've yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and that band had a total jam element to it. Yes, yes. Did the dead play a role in that? Was everybody a dead fan? Well, me and Kenny were, and, and we were the ones that started the band. And, um, you know, Kenny, Kenny was living on dead lot when he was 14. Right. You know what I mean? And, uh, so we both were heavily, heavily influenced by the dead. I mean, we weren't trying to sound like the dead, but the spirit of what they did was the foundation of, of who we were as a band. We just kind of brought different sounds and elements into it, you know, like, we both brought our own little little flavors, but the approach was 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 the same. I thought, and and I think he would agree, especially early on. It was like even though it was like funk and bluegrass and Kenny's little hip hop influence and you know my bluesy influence, but it was still like in essence the melting pot approach and the yeah. you know the improv approach and the and the like genreless approach, you know consciously genreless approach of like we're not just trying to like fit into like this box or that box or that sure, a, anything goes anything any, goes any band that has a mandolin and a saxophone is going to have to be classified as genreless right it'll be the mandolin player who beatboxes right while a saxophone's yeah. going on underneath right. it how do you how do you exactly. put that into a class and I'm playing a lap steel yeah right. it's, yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah it was uh man we had some fun and we yeah. still do we still do we still get together and 
Kenny's still my best friend. I talk to him pretty much every day because we, you know, he, um, yeah, he's, he's just, uh, he's doing great. And, and we, you know, we're, we're still very close and, and we got some bridge plans on the horizon actually. Awesome. Um, n- nothing like getting in the van and touring, but we're, uh, you know, we're trying to do the Thanksgiving thing this year with a little extra bonus to it. So right on the very, the very last indoor show that dark star played was at the will turn and Kenny came and sat in on drums. Oh, nice. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's cool. That was the last time we played indoors and you know, he came and played a little drums and then did a that's bunch really of beatboxing. Cool. Nice. I love yeah. it. That's it was awesome. fun. Yeah. I want to go back and talk about this. Cause I know we've talked about it. you and Kenny for those, you know, his name is Kenny liner and you guys got to look him up. L I N E R Kenny liner. Yeah. Yeah. You guys you know, known each other since you were teenagers. Yeah. And, you guys went to summer camp together. We did. We did. Um, and we've had the summer camp talk before, you know, about yeah. when I was in summer camp, the dead was all around us. Was it right. the same for you guys at summer camp? No, no, it was, uh, we were, we were young and um, that's not really, there was no connection there with that. Um, but then we, he went to my high school right as I started playing music. I had a, we had a cover band in high school. He wasn't in the band. Uh, but we did like mostly dead, a little Almond Brothers Fish, you know, stuff that we were just like, you know, hippies trying to play. And, and Kenny was always like the, uh, he was like the, the, the fifth member of, of the band. He wasn't really in the band, but he would always come, he sit in on bongos. Like he would, and, and, and when he would come, he would literally be wearing them like wrapped around his, he's actually calling me right now. Kenny's calling me. Oh, get him on. So tell us hi. What's up, dude? Hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm on a podcast with Rob Koritz right now. You're on the air. No, for real? Yeah, we were actually just talking about you. Literally, talk. your oh, ears wow. must have been Let burning. Let me say bye then. Love you, Rob. <laughs> I'll call you back, bud. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, he was this little, like, talk about, like, little deadlock kid. Like, little Kenny was this little Jufro. And I, I, mean, I, I could say that to you because we're both Jewish, but um, and and you know, wearing like these little patchwork pants with bongos, literally wrapped around his neck, just like, hey, bro, can I sit in, dude? You know, we'd be like, sure, Kenny. You know, and like we loved him, but that was like that was pretty good back then. It was such a good band, man. I, I loved that band. I'm glad you guys still do stuff. I always loved playing percussion with that band because that was the kind of band I, if I wasn't playing in a dead band, and I was in an original band. That would be the kind of band I wanted to be. In. Oh, right on, man. Yeah, we always loved having you sit in, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we did. We did. With your own band, you know, now it's you got the trio, and it's even bigger than a trio. It's, isn't it? it's not a trio anymore. Yeah, yeah. It was so. Uh, yeah, we went out as a trio for a little while. Um, again, uh, more out of necessity in budget. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but um, but but now we it's a five piece, and um, we got keys. I have there's another guitar player and bass and drums. Is is the jam element still there with this group, or is it more focused on the song aspect? Um, I'd say the foundation is the songs, but we definitely jam, like right. in, in, in the in the in the live show. Um, a couple of the songs like have quite a bit of them have have sections of let's open this thing up. So that that and, element's always there. Yeah. Any of those guys dead fans? I'm working them, man. I'm working. I'm, <laughs> beating them into submission uh, you know, it's uh yeah no they they all um they all love it and it's funny just you know hanging around me for all you know 
and, and my fans, you know, I'm like, so now you're like your mom and dad. And I know like the kids when you, I, were, know. I don't want to, I know, but, they, but they love it. They love it. And, and actually we, we got to open for Phil out at Terrapin and, uh, and that, and I, I did some, some playing with you know, some touring with Phil and friends too. And, um, those guys coming out to see that and, and like watch that whole thing, like right up close and personal. Cause I think if, if anybody Phil like really embodies the, the spirit of, of dead music, the way he plays, you know, it's yeah. like, especially for like my bass player, Todd, who didn't grow up with that type of style, stylistic influence. You know, he was Paul Jackson and, and, you know, um, George Porter and, you know, that, that kind of stuff, not, not the, uh, you know, sort of non-pocket bass playing, so to speak. You know, right. I mean? we call it. We're calling it non-traditional here. Yeah, non-traditional. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So now they love it, and now it's right uh, on. It's funny. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the Phil thing some more, but I want to get to that in a little bit because I want to. Uh-huh. I want to stick with the songwriting for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're definitely. talking about with with the new band and the song based. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're obviously, I mean, just with everything you said, everybody out there can surmise now you're obviously a big fan of Hunter and Barlow. Yeah. Does their songwriting style permeate your brain when you're writing? Is there any consciously or subconsciously? Is there anything there? Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'd say it's more subconsciously just because when I'm writing it, it all needs to kind of be, if I try to imitate somebody, it like, like anything, you know, like if you try too hard to, to, to achieve an end result while you're working, you know, it's that whole thing when you're, you know, sinking a putt or something, you know, if you try too hard, you got to let it come. You can't, you know, so it's one of those things like, and plus, like if I'm, if I'm sitting there with a blank page and I think what would Robert Hunter do, I would rip that paper out of the, pad and throw it in the trash can and go take a walk because like I'm just never going to achieve that. But hopefully some of his spirit and influence can kind of permeate what I do. And that's, that's the best I can hope for. You know, it's like Dylan too. Like he's one of my favorites too, but like, what are you going to do? Like try to be him? No, you can't. So it's like, I just try to read as much as I can listen to as much as I can. And, and, and the same goes for like playing guitar. Like we were talking about, does the influence come in? It's like the same with writing for me. It's like that same approach of just like digest as much good stuff as you can. And then just sit down and, and try to get into that zone when you're working and hope that the good stuff comes out. That's, you know, it's, I find it interesting because I, especially the last album you just released, Mm-hmm. has you know you you address a lot of social issues and a lot of political issues and <laughs> for the most part they kind of stayed away from that stuff you know yeah, yeah they wrote yeah. more of the story songs yeah um do you ever write that gambling tune or a love tune or a tribute to a historical figure or a oh, absolutely story? yeah yeah especially when the bridge days um i would say yeah that last album was a little more pointed than than normal for me i would say it just felt like it needed to be um but I generally feel probably more comfortable with the, the, the latter, like, um, especially on some of the later bridge records, there's, there's like, uh, a lot of that, like, um, I have a tune, you know, called, uh, called poison wine. It's like a story that was kind of influenced by like the story of Robert Johnson getting poisoned because he messed with the wrong dudes, woman. And, you know, um, 
and there's some you know freewheeling gambling references and some of the some of that stuff um yeah you know i guess part of me felt like maybe it's like just Like it was like in a heavier, more serious place that it was my responsibility to maybe hone in on some things that needed to be talked about, whether that's true or not, you know, that's a whole other discussion of like, what, what's the role of the artist. But, um, you know, in, in that particular moment, you know, those were things that I, that I, that I talked about. Um, I think the role of the artist is to write what you feel and hope that it connects with, with the people that you're writing it for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of schools of thought about it. It's like Robert Hunter and, and John Barlow, what they did again, like the dead. I don't think that there's going to be anybody like them anymore. And, and I mean, there shouldn't be cause they're individual geniuses, but I'm just saying that style of writing, especially Hunter to me seems like it's, uh, it's something that he could only, he could pull off. Like, I feel like if anybody else, and I'm not even pinpointing exactly like what part of it I'm referring to, but just that, that approach, I can't think of anybody else who's been able to do that right. successfully what about, without coming off like half baked or, or, you know, something, you know what I right. mean? What about on the musical side? Um, as opposed to the lyrical side, I mean, uh, any influence do you, are there chord progressions or structure? I mean, there's that, that I, I, I'm a drummer, so I can't tell you the chords, but I think it's, dim, <laughs> I think it's moving diminished stuff that, that quintessential Jerry thing, like in lazy uh -huh. river road and days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That yeah. stuff is, uh, yeah, I could go finish your, finish your question. I'm no, sorry. does that stuff rub off? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that, that like diminished thing in particular to me, that's like, that's like Robert Johnson. Like if you listen to like, uh, if I had a guitar here, I would like play it for you. Like, like kind hearted woman blues, like those like chromatic descending things. Like to me, that's all comes from like, uh, from, from, from like Delta blues kind of changes. It's not anything that far removed from like American historical music, you know, to me, American roots music. I, I like, I get the reference, you know, is what I'm saying. Like when I hear it, I'm like, Oh, that's, that, that was the choice that he made there. I, I see why instead of going to the five, he went, he did a descending little dominant seven thing, you know, off, it's, it's like, I can kind of analyze where that all comes from. And, and absolutely it all, it, it all permeates, you know? Um, but yeah, I feel like he, I feel like Garcia was, his songwriting was like so influenced by, you know, that stuff and like the Irving Berlin chord changes and like all that, like, you know, super classic, Americans, you know, Duke Ellington, like those, those kind of chord changes. They truly took it from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you should, I think yeah. that's, that's what, and, and, and I think that's the, the main influence that the dead had on me was that anything goes right on. Yeah. And I know you've done, like we talked about, you've done some all, all dead live streams, but every year you do your thing called a, uh, a very Jerry Christmas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's, it started out like I, I coincidentally had a, like a bar gig, like a solo bar gig on August 1st years ago. And, uh, I woke up, I was like, Oh, wow, it's Jerry's birthday. I put on Facebook, Hey, Jerry's birthday tonight at the green turtle or wherever I was playing, you know, like, uh, maybe I'll do all Jerry tunes. And like the place was packed out the door 
and I was just solo acoustic playing all Jerry tunes all night. And I was like, well, this would be cool with a full band. So come Christmas time, I put a band together and was like, let's do a very Jerry Christmas. And, and people freaked out, sold out. So then we did it. So, so now we do it like twice a year, like Jerry's birthday weekend, usually do like three nights and then Christmas. It's usually two night, two, three nights. And where, uh, we eight by 10 is where we've been doing it. Like three nights at the eight by 10, just like, perfect. you know, pack it in, make it the real family vibe. We could go to a bigger venue, but it just feels good there. Right. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we're supposed to do it. We were supposed to do it last year. We're supposed to do it, you know, come August this year. I don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, we have it on, on hold, whatever, but I don't see it. I don't know if it's going to happen, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, that's been, you know, cause I get all players that are as into the dead as me. Yeah, man, it was killer. It's so much fun. And then we've had shows where we have it like Graham Lash and Elliot Peck come join us for a few, um, Mark Karen was in town. He came and sat in on one, you know, it's nice. uh yeah. Yeah. That's so, awesome. We've been doing it for like five, six years now. Good deal, man. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier, but I'm going to bring them up anyway. You've toured and you've opened with for Steve Winwood, Striggle Simpson. You've played symphonic stuff with the, with the Baltimore symphony. You released mm-hmm. an album with Ivan Neville, which knowing your yeah. Neville brothers connection now must've been so cool. Yeah. Your projects yeah. are all over the place. You know, it's, it's it, they run the game, which is like you're talking about and they should, yeah, a while back you did some shows, like you mentioned, as a member of Film and Friends. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Yeah, man, I could talk about that all day. Um, yeah, I, I met Phil just when we were crossing uh, through through Terrapin Crossroads, and um, we opened for him on like a July Fourth for like a Phil and Friends, and and you know he uh, he invited me to sit in on a tune at the end of the night, and that, you know, that was sort of it. But then I got a call from his uh his management like you know a month or two later hey um are you free like october whatever at the hollywood bowl at the hollywood it's uh, it's, it's it's outlaw fest with willie nelson sturgill simpson phil and friends margo price luke and i was like yeah i could i could do that so i think i could hang out with you guys yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so so that was just like a one-off that was my first time like playing with phil but you know i brought my dad because obviously he was the first person i called and he just freaked out and was just over the moon. And so I brought him as like my guest and he probably should have asked you for another hundred bucks right there, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so like that show was amazing. Just like, it, it, and then I, and then I got called to do, and then I did like another like four day run with him on another like outlaw fest tour. And then like another one off or two here and there. Who else was in the band with you when you did those? The Hollywood Bowl one was um, Jackie Green, Jason Crosby, Nathan Graham on drums. Um, and then the Outlaw Tour one was Molo on drums. John I had Molo him on, on a couple weeks ago. Nice. Yeah, he, he was he's, a blast he's to have great. He's so fun to talk to. Uh, Crosby was on those. Um, Stu Allen. Um, Luther played on a couple of them. Luther Dickinson. And then... Uh, on, on then we did like another one-off. It was like me, Molo, Crosby, Eric Krasno, and Nikki Bloom. Nice. So, yeah, it was killer. Killer. Did he uh did he pretty much give you carte blanche to play how you were feeling it? Or was he looking for a specific approach out of you? No, he didn't he didn't give any direction whatsoever other than just like get in there. You know, like he um 
as a matter of fact, he even was like, what do you feel like playing? Send me, you know, send me some songs that you feel like playing. I'm like, really? I just get to pick. He's like, yeah. And like, I just sent yeah, him like, like, I just sent him like my list of, of all the st- stuff I did. And, and, uh, yeah, I remember like the first set list he sent out for the Hollywood bowl, like a couple nights before it just, the first song was Althea with my initials next to it, which is like one of my all time favorite tunes. That was the opener of me singing Althea, which was just like, you know, I called my dad. I'm like, I just got the set list. He's like, don't tell me. I don't want to know. And he like, he like wrote his own mock set list to and like crumbled it up and put it in his pocket to like compare with what it really was. How do you do? <laughs> yeah. I don't even think he, I don't think he, he nailed it at all, but, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, but no, I mean, the only thing was Phil, like there was no talk of like, here's how we're going to do it at all. Zero. Did you rehearse? No, no not, rehearsal. Not, none. I even said to his manager, I'm like, so should I come in the day before for rehearsals? She's like, no, no rehearsal. And like, literally like for that first gig specifically, I didn't even see him until like half hour before the hit, like, you know, got up there. It was one of those, um, revolving stages. Cause it was like a, you know, you know, like they do it lock in and so right. where like the band sets up behind the, the, the previous band. And, um, so we were just set up and then he came out like as I was, you know, kind of setting up and getting sounds and, and, uh, and he's like, yeah, once the stage turns around and once we're facing the crowd, start singing. And like, we started playing like as the stage is turning around. And then the only other real direction I got from him was like, you know, as you know, with that music, like you, you really can't play too much. It, like, like I'm saying, you can't, like, there's no such thing as playing too much. Like, and I don't mean that in like a, a distasteful way. It's just like in other music, you know, someone is soloing per se, everybody else is accompanying the solo, but in, in Grateful Dead music, if somebody is playing melodies, that doesn't mean they're the only soloist. It's like sure. everybody else is, is to be, is to be act active during the solo so it was like maybe a look or two whereas i'm used to you know not not wanting to step on toes if somebody else is soloing you know just kind of gave me the like the nod as to say like get in there and you know and afterwards i asked him if you know was that what you meant he's like absolutely yeah like just just dig in there like keep you know keep playing even if you're not soloing it's you know. so cool that you mentioned that that way because a couple of weeks ago actually the episode that's live right now i had reed mathis on and uh-huh. He talks about with his music, traditional roles go out the window. Yeah, you know? absolutely. The stereotypical, what you would stereotypically expect a bass player or a rhythm guitar oh, yeah. player to do. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. And it's a, the Grateful Dead music is a style, yeah. you know, it's sort of, it's, it's like jazz. I mean, it's, it's like jazz. I mean, even though jazz I would say is, you know, depending on what, you know, vein of jazz you're talking about, there's a soloist and there's a company accompanying the solo. Whereas like, you know, the true essence of Grateful Dead music is, is like sort of everybody is soloing at the same time, so to speak, you know, musically speaking, but you know, it's not like one person is more important or or supposed to be like more active than the rest. Right. Comping's not really a thing. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, we're not just hanging in the cut. Yeah. No, no, like little repetitive little rhythm groove. Like, no, like, cause we've moved on from that two bars ago. As long as as your ears are open. That's it. That's it. Keep Keep the ears open and be tasty. Yeah. I mean, those sets like flew by just because it's so, 
like like faster than you know it feel felt like a lot of other sets that you play because you're so on your toes and listening and engaged the whole time yeah. that like you're not thinking about what's coming next or you're just you're just trying to stay in the moment and react and offer something and react and offer something and and before you know it this like 90 minutes just went by like that right. and it's just like what, what what happened i don't even know what happened you know were, were you able to get more comfortable as you did each show definitely definitely yeah. yeah i mean i thought the first one was great and i felt felt like it you know it went it went really well and i thought the music felt really inspired and connected with like five musicians that like don't play together you know but at uh, the hollywood bowl yeah yeah <laughs> if and it really it was like amazingly seamless in my mind whereas like some of the others like they were all you know like the you know how it is with that music it's like you're 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 without a net to to quote the the phrase and sometimes that means you you know you're like what the hell is going on right now and and there might have been a moment or two of that you know and that's part of the fun you know it is the fun that's where it's all that's the challenge it keeps us on our toes and it challenges us to be alive while we're on stage and exactly be in that moment all the time. Exactly. It's like and you get off stage and you're like invigorated. You're ready to go run a marathon, you know? Yeah. It's like, and it doesn't always work. I mean, there's times when you'll come off and oh, boy, that was really good except for, yeah, you know, right. and it, it, right. it, that's, you know, that's like you said, without a net. That means you're really doing it though. I mean, yeah. that, it's, it's human. That means you're, you're really trying and, and you're not just like sticking with the safe formula that worked at the last. And that's show. what makes, in my opinion, that's what makes the fans of this music appreciate it because they know you're going up there, even in my band, which for lack of better terms, a cover band, but and you're still improvising you're, and they know st- that. So the, the fans of the grateful dead respect it, even if it's not great, Sure. Respect it because they know you're going up there and trying something different every time. Absolutely. My dad used to try to explain that to me. You know, he's like, it's not what they play. It's how they play it. Like the set list doesn't matter. Like it's, you know, some shows, your favorite songs will sound like shit. Yep. And some shows like the songs that you hate are like the best Amazing. set. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw like a killer Picasso moon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no offense but like yeah, my favorite song but like once or twice i was like wow that was that was a great version sure man for sure <laughs> well hey man i can't thank you enough for the time but before yeah, i let you go you, yeah before i let you go i do this with everybody All right. um we're gonna do a quick lightning round well we're not gonna do nice. it quick. it's not gonna be quick it never is okay um, we're gonna try to do a quick lightning round just answer them out as you can okay all right first grateful dead show rfk stadium 1992 favorite grateful dead show um capital center 1994 i remember it was help slip franklin's estimated terrapin stella blue i need a miracle turn on your love light and that was the live show the one you were at that just did it for opened up with like a 16 minute ico ico and just yeah for whatever reason i thought they were on fire that night Right on. Studio recordings are live? For the dead? Live. Live. Favorite dead album? Album American Beauty. Favorite non-Grateful Dead album? By those guys, you mean? Or just in general? Whatever. Um, wow, that's that's a tough one. Everybody hates it. And for a musical encyclopedia like you, I'm sure it's even harder. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, right now I'm on like a huge Dixie Chicken vibe, and I feel like that's like one of the greatest like 
you know, records of all time, Little Feet Dixie Chicken. So I'll just, I'll go with that, even though, like, I'll probably, like, be like, damn it, I should have said that. Like, and, you, you can know, call so me later if you want me to. I'll call you later. Yeah. <laughs> a favorite color. Favorite color? Uh, does black count as a color? It does. A lot of people yeah. have used it. Yeah, I'll say black. That was Comenti's favorite color, yeah. of course, because that's all he wears. That was Yorma's favorite color. Yeah. It yeah. seems like black and purple have been the two favorite colors of musicians. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first job. First job, I was a uh, busboy. What kind of restaurant? It was uh, it's called Miller's Deli, Jewish right. Deli in, uh, in suburbs of Baltimore. You've been there, done that, man. Yeah, I'm sure you have. I, you, took me, you took me to a great one you when we were out there. My family's deli, yeah. yeah that's my right. sister and brother-in-law owned it. Oh, yeah. that was. And killer. when you guys played here, you came for breakfast the next we morning. We did. We that's sure right. did. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's right. Wow. Um, f- uh, favorite venue to play? Well, I've uh, I've certainly played some good ones that just as an opener. Um, I'd say the uh, Fox Theater in Oakland. I opened for Steve Winwood there, and it was it was religious. I, I'm, I don't play there on my own, unfortunately, right. yet. But but yeah, that yeah. Or Hollywood Bowl, actually, Hollywood Bowl might have a beat both of those places. I can imagine yeah. that one, man. That would be so cool. Yeah. Uh, best city for a day off. Hmm. Um. I'd say for me, I'll go with uh, San Francisco. All right. First car. Toyota, Toyota Camry. Uh, 1990, 1990 Toyota Camry. Current car. Current car. My Well, I have my, my band van, which is like a, a transit like sprinter type right uh and uh and my wife's got a subaru outback so we sort of share the outback while the van's in the driveway and so you don't have kid seats in that van do you no no okay. yeah, yeah 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 we got we got the subaru outback for for the family truckster uh book you are reading um currently i'm reading um this uh this this book by this guy named Seth Godin and it's actually one of these like uh, creativity books it's called the practice and it's just a, about like um, creative work and you know I sometimes good for you man because yeah. most of the musicians I almost took that question out because most of the guys say I'm not reading a book yeah 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 now I'm always trying to read something. And, and, yeah, sometimes it's good fiction work, but this is a good just kind of because I'm I'm in the process of trying to like sit down and write write a new record, and some so sometimes I just need that little jump start of like you know one of those like you know how to be creative kind of books just to kind of get the get, get the juices flowing moving. right, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, any magazine subscriptions? My, uh, my wife's got a subscription to the New Yorker that I always make fun of her for because it ends up just being like ripped up by my one year old and she never reads it. But it's got great articles in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a good magazine. It is. And I have New York Times on my phone. Right on. And the last one, the first trip you will take when this all is all over. Um we are we've been talking about renting an RV and going out to Colorado with the whole family. So hopefully that. Right on, man. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for offering all this insight. Great to talk to you, man. So good to talk to you. I miss you so much, man. Miss you too, buddy. We'll be out there. I'm sorry you're going to be working the weekend. We're in Frederick. I know. You guys are there on that Sunday. Friday, Saturday, well. Sunday. And we're, like I said, four shows in two days, Friday and Saturday. So if I'm feeling up for the drive out to Frederick. You I'll, won't. You I'll got shoot. the kids to go home I doubt to. It's it. so different now. I doubt it. You yeah. know, the whole yeah. energy has changed for you and all yeah. of us who have little kids. 
Yeah. Because we've been with them all the time. Now we want to be there more. Not that we didn't want to be there before. Were you, like, more tired after, like, playing a show recently? Because when I played my first, like, band show, like, two um, set band show recently, I was worn out, man. Yeah. Yeah. My shoulders hurt really bad after the first couple nights. And, you know, I I mean, I'm not a huge partier after the show anyway now. Yeah. You know, I go to bed, but we got home from the road yesterday. I flew home yesterday. And I went to bed at 10 o'clock last night, which I yeah. never, 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 never do. Right. So the earliest I've gone to bed in months. Three days on the road. Beat me up. Yeah. Dude, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I got to get back in shape. It's not easy, but yeah. at least we're finally getting the opportunities to get ourselves back in shape. Yeah. So hopefully you'll be out there doing a bunch real soon. Yeah. across. No doubt, man. Keep in touch, please. Yes. That's, that's Chris Jacobs, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much, pal. Thanks, brother. What a fun conversation that was. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode, and I would like to thank Chris Jacobs for a great hang, and Noah Lore and Nate Lambert for helping keep this music alive. I'd also like to acknowledge my sponsors, Sarno Music Solutions and Blue Jade Audio, The Clean Store, The Authenticity Academy, and Grateful Sweats. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription. I'm offering some great bonus content every week, or you can show your love with a one-time contribution. Get info about this and everything else related to the podcast at our new website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated, and nothing is too small as we try and keep this show rolling along. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, you can find out more about them at my website as well. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner Dino English. I'll be back again in two weeks on June 3rd with episode number 14 when my guest will be pianist Holly Bowling. I, I can't believe we're already at episode number 14. Thank you all so much for listening. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. We're playing these outdoor shows now, but we really want to get things back to normal. Uh, We're headed in the right direction, but it's going to take everyone's efforts to make it happen. Thank you all so much for being here.